ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Tonight then, insha'Allah ta'ala, in this session which is a break from our normal studies, we're going to look at the lives of one of the great scholars of this time. The scholars, the people of knowledge, they are of importance because they have been praised in the Qur'an and Sunnah, the people of knowledge. And Allah has informed us to return back to the people of knowledge. So Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of remembrance, meaning the scholars, Ahlu Sunnah, return back to them. Ask them regarding the affairs of your religion, if you do not know. Similarly, in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, in one narration it mentions, إِنَّ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ لَمْ يُوَرِّثُوا دِرْهَمًا وَلَا دِينَارًا The prophets did not bequeath dirhams or dinar, meaning they did not leave behind money as inheritance. وَإِنَّمَا وَرَّثُوا الْعِلْمَ Rather, the prophets left behind knowledge. فَمَنْ أَخَذَ بِهِ أَخَذَ بِحَظٍ وَافِرٍ So whomsoever takes a portion of that, then he's taken a grasp of that portion. So this knowledge, that is what the scholars have inherited from the prophets themselves. And considering that this knowledge, it is one of the highest blessings Allah gave to the prophets and messengers. Allah gave the prophets and messengers the actual nubuwa, the risala, prophethood and messengership. But then on top of that, one of the highest blessings was this knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave those prophets and messengers the revelation that came upon them that revelation that they conveyed, that revelation that came to them from Allah, they taught it. And so the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ taught and conveyed that revelation, that Qur'an, that Sunnah to the companions. They then taught it 
to their students, the tabi'een. They then taught it to their students. And it carried on like that, generation after generation. Scholars in every century, up until we came to the time that we live in now. And we saw the great likes, or the great scholars, the likes of al-Shaykh al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala. So these scholars certainly have a high rank and a high station. And Allah has praised them. In fact, in the Qur'an, Allah even mentions the scholars and their testimony. Allah takes the testimony of the scholars alongside His own testimony. And the testimony of the angels, the testimony of the scholars comes alongside them in the Qur'an, showing the levels of the scholars, showing the rank and the position of the scholars. And so there were great scholars throughout history. From the time of the Salaf, generation after generation, in those days you've heard of the great scholars, Great scholars like Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, Al-Imam Muslim, the other books that were written by the Imams, Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi, Al-Imam Al-Nasai, Al-Imam Ibn Majah, Al-Imam Abu Dawood, and then you've heard of the likes of Al-Imam Ahmed, and Al-Imam Malik, and Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, and Al-Imam Shafi'i, Rahimahumullah. And many others from the Salaf. And then you come beyond them throughout the centuries and you hear the names of some of the great scholars, the likes of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and his students, Al-Imam al-Dhahabi, Al-Imam ibn Kathir and others, Ibn Abdul Hadi. Many scholars throughout the centuries until you come to the recent times and you hear of the likes of a Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah ta'ala, and all of his students that came in the last hundred years or so, up until we came to this generation, the likes of a Shaykh bin Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala, a Shaykh al-Athaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala, a Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah ta'ala, and then after them, those who we see right now alive amongst us, the likes of Sheikh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, Sheikh Al-Luhaydan, Sheikh Rabi'ah, many scholars alive today whom we can return to. So that is something that continues. That is something that continues. Knowledge is passed generation to generation. And just like in the hadith, many a hadith, Allah tells us how Ahlus Sunnah will remain up until the establishment of the hour. So these scholars and this knowledge, it continues, taught from one to the next. So tonight, we wish to speak about one of these great scholars, and that is Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih, Al-Uthaymeen, his full name 
was Abu Abdillah, Abu Abdillah, Muhammad ibn Salih ibn Muhammad ibn Sulaiman ibn Abdul Rahman, Muhammad ibn Salih ibn Muhammad ibn Sulaiman ibn Abdul Rahman al Uthaymin. Al-Wuhaybi At-Tamimi That is his name He was born on the 27th of Ramadan Born on the 27th or the night of the 27th of Ramadan In the year, the Islamic year 1347 1347 Where are we now in the Islamic year? He was born in 1347 Hijri Meaning when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Muslims They left Mecca and they made the Hijra to Medina From there began the Hijri calendar From that time 1347 years, 1347 Hijri. But where are we right now in the Hijri calendar? What year is it? 1439. We are in 1439. And the Sheikh was born in 1347. So he was born how many years ago? 92 Now we are in 1439 He was born in 1347 Mathematics not the strong point here huh? So approximately 90 years ago Approximately thereabouts. You can work out the exact dates on the calendars that you're more accustomed to. I don't know the date in English what it was. But that is 1347. That the Sheikh was born on the night of the 27th of Ramadan. In the town of Unayza. Which is one of the cities or towns of Al-Qasim. In Saudi Arabia. It is mentioned about the scholars generally. When you look into the biographies of the scholars, often you see similarities in all of their biographies. One of the common things you see is how these scholars, they started studying seriously from a young age. From a young age, they began studying and learning and memorizing. And Sheikh Al-Thameen was no different in that regard. It is mentioned that he learned the Qur'an from his grandfather. His maternal grandfather. His mother's father. He learned the Qur'an from him. His name was Abdul Rahman ibn Sulaiman al-Damir. Rahimahullah. 
Then after that, the Sheikh began learning the other different sciences of the religion also. And he had memorized the whole of the Qur'an at a very young age. This is another key point to note. The Qur'an is the priority in that knowledge. The Salaf, they used to make the Qur'an the priority in knowledge. Some of the scholars of the Salaf, when they used to have lessons like this, if a new student came that hadn't been attending before, the scholar would say to him, have you memorized the Qur'an? If that student, the new one said not yet, the scholars in the times of the Salaf, it is noted in their biographies, this used to happen. They used to say to him in that case, get out and go. Leave, go. Finish the Qur'an, memorize it quickly, all of it. Then come back and you can attend the lessons. That's what they used to tell them. Because the whole of the lesson, everything you're learning about the religion, it is all based upon Qur'an and Sunnah. If you don't know the Qur'an and you don't know the Sunnah, you haven't got that memorized, then you're going to struggle in the lesson. All of the evidences, all of the explanations, Everything is based upon that revelation of the Qur'an, of the sunnah. So the Qur'an is the beginning, and the scholars all used to memorize that. The salaf, when they used to be young, it is noted, they used to have the katatib, those circles of Qur'an memorization, and that's where they used to go to when they were young. And they used to memorize the Qur'an from a young age. So here it's mentioned that al-Shaykh al had also memorized the Qur'an from a young age. And not only the Qur'an, but other books as well. He had started memorizing those small books in hadith and fiqh from a young age. And one of the main scholars who taught al-Shaykh al in fact the one who you could say was the main teacher of al-Shaykh al Rahimahullah Ta'ala is a scholar who we have become accustomed to to a degree. Because our normal study every Friday, every fortnight on a Friday we normally study the book Delights of the Heart written by which scholar? Al-Imam Al-Sa'di Rahimahullah Ta'ala it is mentioned that the main first sheikh of a sheikh al-Thaymeen was a sheikh Abdurrahman ibn Nasir al-Sa'di rahimahullah waqad rattaba min talabatihi al-kibar litadris al-mubtadi'een min al-talaba wa kana minhum al-sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Aziz al-Mutawwa rahimahullah fanzamma ilayhi fadilat sheikhina and so there used to be those lessons and there used to be the teaching going on and various scholars teaching. And the Shaykh Al-Athameen was involved in that and he studied uh, tafsir and hadith and tawheed and fiqh and laws of inheritance and of Arabic grammar. All of the various sciences from that young age. So a Shaykh Al-Sa'di, rahimahullah, is considered the first major shaykh or teacher of a shaykh al-Athameen rahimahullah ta'ala. Then there were other scholars too, a shaykh Abdul Razak 
Afifi, rahimahullah. Sheikh Al-Athamin studied with him too. And another one of the notable scholars, whom you will be aware of, who is also from the teachers of Sheikh Al-Athamin, is Sheikh Bin Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala. Sheikh Bin Baz is also considered from the teachers of Sheikh Al-Athamin, Sheikh Al-Athamin studied certain books and certain affairs under Sheikh Bin Baz. And in fact they say that really you could say Sheikh Bin Baz was the second highest ranking of the Mashaykh of Sheikh Al-Athamin. Ranking in terms of how much Sheikh Al-Athamin took from them and benefited from them. His major first Sheikh was Al-Allama Al-Sa'di. After him, from all of the mashaykh that Sheikh Al-Athamin studied from, they say you could, you could say a Sheikh Bin Baz comes in number two from his teachers that he studied from and benefited from. So he studied with a Sheikh Bin Baz also and benefited greatly from him. A Sheikh Al-Athamin himself from a young age began teaching. It's mentioned how Al-Allama Al-Sa'idi and others they selected him to start teaching the younger students from a young age, even when he, a Sheikh Al-Athameen, was still himself. At the level of being a student, he was selected to go and teach the other students. So it is noted about him how he had that sharpness and intelligence from a young age. In 1376, so by now, a Sheikh Al-Athameen was how old? He was born in 47, and now we're in 76, 29, 47, 57, 67, 77, 26. Well, maybe I shouldn't ask these kinds of questions tonight. So he was born in 47, and we are now in the year 76. If we were in the year 77... That would have been 30. So now 29. When he was 29 years old, a Sheikh Abdul Rahman al Saudi put him in charge of being the Imam of the mosque in Unayza and to give the khutbahs there. That is because at that time in the year 1376, what happened? Why did a Shaykh al-Athameen take over becoming the Imam of the mosque in Unayza and taking over the teaching and taking over the khutbahs? Because at the age of 29, when he was 29, his Shaykh al-Allama Sa'di passed away. He passed away at that time. Tuwufiya Shaykhuhu Abdurrahman al-Sa'di فَتَوَلَّى بَعْدَهُ إِمَامَةُ الْمَسْجِدِ وَبِالْجَامِعِ الْكَبِيرِ فِي عُنَيْزَ وَالْخِطَابَ فِيهِ وَالتَّدْرِيسِ All of these duties then, Sheikh Al-Athameen, he took over them. The Sheikh was also a teacher in various institutes, in schools, in universities, and he also taught in Al-Masjid Al-Haram and in Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi. In the Haram in Mecca and in the Haram in Medina, he taught in both places 
and he used to teach in al-Masjid al-Nabawi in the seasonal periods, meaning Ramadan and Hajj. He would teach there also in Ramadan and in Hajj, and in other holidays where he could go across to Medina, he would teach in al-Masjid al-Nabawi also. So he gave many lectures within Saudi, and he used to give tellings outside of Saudi lectures via the phone, and he was in charge of the Qur'an memorization classes. So the Shaykh was busied with knowledge completely. Al-Shaykh bin Baz, his Shaykh, Al-Shaykh al studied under Al-Shaykh bin Baz, and no doubt, when you study under somebody, you take their mannerisms and you learn from them. One of the things they say about Al-Shaykh bin Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala, is that he never took a single day of work in his life. That's what they mention. They say it is not known that a Sheikh bin Baz ever took holidays. It is not known about him, they say. Every single day he was involved with his work. Eventually in the end of his life he was the mufti, etc. They say every day he was dealing with the paperwork and the questions coming in. There was no such thing as a holiday. And they say it makes sense anyway. It makes sense for an alim like that. Why would he take a holiday when his work, work, they give him work, they give him wage, whatever, but his life isn't the religion and researching and answering the questions of the people and fatawa. So they say, Sheikh bin Baz, it is not noted from him he ever took holidays. So you could say that a Sheikh al-Athameen perhaps studying under a Sheikh bin Baz took these kinds of characteristics known for completely busying himself in knowledge, busying himself in teaching, busying himself in research. And they say from his characteristics was a great deal of humbleness that he had. And that is something you learn with knowledge. The more knowledge a person gains, the more you realize how ignorant you actually are. The more knowledge you gain, the more you realize how little you know. Al-Shaykh Al-Athameen, they say he was from the most humble of people. Even with the level of knowledge he had, the level of knowledge he had, the people around him said, so often we used to hear the Shaykh say, when he was asked things, he would say, I don't know. Allahu A'lam. We're going to have to look into that. So often they say, he used to say those types of things, that I don't know, Allahu A'lam. Uh, we're going to have to look into this issue a bit more, we'll have to research into it, I'm not sure. So often he used to say that. And that is something which is inherited from the ways of the scholars of past. Al-Imam Malik, the famous example, when that man came from Iraq, all the way to Medina, and he said to Al-Imam Malik, I've come all the way from there, with questions for you from my people. And in some narrations they say it was 40 questions. He said, I've come in those days on the horses, camels, all the way from Iraq to Medina. 
to ask you these 40 questions my people put together, sent me with, with them to you. So from those 40 questions, in one variation of this story, it mentions that Al-Imam Malik only knew the answer. Al-Imam Malik of that time, great scholar. These people, they traveled hundreds of miles on horses and camels to get to him, to ask him. Out of those 40, he said, I only know the answer to four of them. He gave him four answers. 36, he said, I don't know the answers to those 36. The man said, my people sent me all the way from Iraq to come to Al-Imam Malik with these questions. And 36 of them, you say you don't know the answer? Al-Imam Malik said to him, absolutely. Go back and tell your people. Al-Imam Malik said, he doesn't know the answers to those others. That is the way. Unlike the people of innovation, the people of deviation, no matter what you ask them, they have an answer. Because for them, it is their brain, their intellect. If they don't know, they'll make up some answer. Like you hear them, some of the misguided ones, the answers they make up. <coughs> one I remember all the time, never forget it. A woman rang into one of these radio show things to a Sufi so-called Imam. And she said to him, and this was exactly how it occurred. She said to this Imam on this, this call-in type of show, this fatwa show, the imam is giving the fatwa out. She says to him, Oh imam, etc. My daughter or daughter-in-law, I believe it was daughter-in-law. She said she's not very pretty. So is there any dua that I can read for this? He says to her, He says, Absolutely. Absolutely. There is a dua you can read. If she's not pretty, there is a dua you can read. So what does he say to her? Quotes to her. Which ayah of the Quran? Just amma. About how Allah created people in the best of appearance. Aha. Uh-huh. So he said to her, you should tell her to recite, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَخْوِيمِ That indeed we have created mankind in the best appearance. Tell her to read this, and I forgot the numbers now, 100 after the prayer, and 20, and 50, and 70, and inshaAllah, Allah has said He created the humans in the best of appearance. She will become in the good appearance. Where from? From here. From their own minds and their own brains and their own intellects. But the scholars of the sunnah, the scholars of the religion in truth, then it is not like that. It is not about making up your answers. If you do not know, then you say, Allahu A'lam. That you will learn and you will study and you will research. It is not an embarrassment or a humiliation. Or that you lose your status. If somebody asks you and you say, I don't know. Or you say, inshallah, we'll look into it, we'll research. That is from the modesty 
and it is from the knowledge of the person. The person is showing his knowledge by saying that I don't have knowledge of this. As for an individual who wants to pretend to have the knowledge and pretend to know, when he doesn't, because he thinks he will lose status if he says he doesn't know, then that shows the lack of knowledge and understanding he really has. So as Shaykh al they say about him, so often, even though his level he had, so often they say, we used to hear him say, I don't know, Allahu alam to that, we'll have to research into that a bit more. So often they used to hear him say that. Also, during the life of a Shaykh al he was awarded on one occasion by the king at the time in 1414 Hijri. He was awarded a prize, uh, a prize that they have for those who have aided Islam. And a Shaykh al was chosen for this recognition. Not that the scholars, they care about those things, but this was something that they had and they chose and selected that prize for Shaykh al The point being, the reasons why they selected him. The reasons why they selected him, they mentioned this was like the, the government body of Saudi Arabia, who picked a Shaykh al to get this reward. Why did they pick the Shaykh? That's the key. They mentioned in their memo, the reasons why they picked a Shaykh al to give him this recognition, Number one, because of the great level of mannerisms that he had. The great level of beautiful scholarly mannerisms that he had. From being welcoming to the people and speaking the truth with them and sincerely advising them. So from that beautiful mannerism he had, and the sincerity to the people he had, the welcoming nature in trying to help them as much as possible, that was one of the points they noted regarding him. Second point they noted regarding him, the absolute huge numbers of people who benefited from his knowledge. Al-Sheikh al where did he live? And where are we now start talking about him? People have benefited from his knowledge thousands of miles from where he was. Thousands upon thousands from his books and his explanations. So they noted in point number two for this recognition for him, the absolute huge numbers that this alim has benefited or they have benefited from him. Thirdly, connected to that, they mentioned... This recognition is for a Shaykh al due to the huge amount of time that he puts into teaching this religion to the people. The huge amount of time that he puts into delivering lectures, in delivering classes, in delivering conferences, all of these great amounts of participation from the Shaykh for the sake of Allah in teaching the religion was another point they noted regarding him. And one more point they noted regarding him was his mannerism of conveying the knowledge. How he gave that knowledge and called to Allah with wisdom 
upon the manhaj of the salaf al-salih. That's what they mentioned. That the shaykh, he called to Allah with sincerity upon the manhaj of as-salaf al-salih. Calling to the correct aqeedah, calling to the correct sunnah, calling to the truth and warning against innovation. Also, what we can mention from the characteristics of the shaykh are some of the more personal details regarding him. They say, those who have spoken about him, who were close to him, كَانَ الشَّيْخِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى قُدْوَةً صَالِحًا وَنَمُوذَجًا حَيًّا فَلَمْ يَكُنْ عِلْمُهُ مُجَرَّدْ دُرُوسُ مَحَاضَرَاتِ The Sheikh, he was an example, a living example, a righteous example to follow. And his knowledge wasn't just it wasn't just giving classes and lectures. Rather, it was done in a way of wisdom, and a way with manners, and a way with sincerity, that the people genuinely came and wanted that knowledge from him. They say in his classes, he would have hundreds of people. That isn't the key though. You know when you go to a lecture, you go to a conference, you always see two types of people. You see one bunch of people normally at the front and scattered around who have got pens and pads and they are writing notes. Those who are maybe a little bit more serious about wanting to keep the knowledge, they want to write it down, they want to keep a record of it. So you get a type of people who come with pens and pads and write everything and make notes in the lecture. You get another type of person, the second type, who comes maybe somewhat more casually, comes to sit and to benefit and to listen, which is all good, alhamdulillah too. So you get some who are maybe a little bit more serious with pens and pads, and you get some who come a bit more casually, but to still benefit and listen and pay attention to the lecture and come out with benefit. All good. In the lessons of a Shaykh al they say there used to be hundreds of people in attendance. But those hundreds who were in attendance, they were all from which category? The writers, students, People used to come to his class, even if they initially came in a more casual way, they would come and they would see the type of knowledge, the ahadith, the Qur'an, the understanding. They would be encouraged to bring their pens and pads in future, to make some notes of what they hear, so that even 30 years in the future, you open up your book and you remember those notes. You remember those benefits for your religion. So they say there used to be hundreds in his class, all of them pens and pads, studying properly like students. وَكَانَ بِوَجْهِهِ الْبَشُوشِ اجْتِمَاعِيًّا يُخَالِطُ النَّاسُ وَيَأْثِرْ فِيهِمْ وَيُدْخِلِ السُّرُورِ إِلَى قُلُوبِهِمْ Also they mention about the character of the shaykh, that he was always smiling, and he was open with the people, 
such that people would become happy being in his presence. They would become happy sitting with him. And he was always keen on implementing the sunnah at every opportunity. Always attempting to implement the sunnah in all situations. They say on one occasion, somebody died from his close family. Somebody died from his close family. Normally what happens then? People come to you to give you the, the, the commiserations and to, to give you support at that time and visit you, etc. The ta'ziyah. But they say, Shaykh al-Hameen, when somebody close from his family died on one occasion, he didn't, didn't open his door to people to come and do that. He didn't allow people to come to give their to, uh, commiserations, etc. to him there, to console him. He didn't open his door in his house to allow people to come and do that. They say one, because he wanted to demonstrate his absolute patience upon what had happened. And two, because the way people do those uh, commiserations and when they go to give the consolations, it is often something done in a manner which opposes the sunnah. Nowadays you see people, they designate a house. And everybody go to that house. And the women go to this house. And then food comes for the outside people. This type of thing is not in the sunnah to do it like that. It is not in the sunnah to designate a house for three days and everybody goes and visits. So these types of things, there are oppositions in the sunnah to it. So a shaykh al-Hameen, they mentioned on one occasion when somebody died, he refused to open his door to let people come and do things that may end up in oppositions to the sunnah. So he was keen always to make sure that he was implementing that sunnah to the best of his ability. There are various other narrations from his life where you see how he was in his character, in his behavior with the people. And he used to occasionally joke with his students, but at the same time be giving them a serious point. Just like Sheikh Bin Baz used to do another scholars of Sheikh Al-Albani, have a little joke with the students now and again. So it's mentioned on one occasion that he was teaching a class. And he noticed that one or two students maybe weren't paying attention properly. So then, out of the blue, suddenly, he picked one of them. And he said to them, Have you understood what I've been talking about just now? The student said, Insha'Allah, Insha'Allah. So then the shaykh said to him, Are you wearing, this was the next question. He said to him, Are you wearing a shimar? These red and white things. Obviously in Saudi, the students, all of them wearing them. The student was wearing one. He said, Naam. He said, yes. So then the shaykh said to him, When I asked you, did you understand the lesson or not? You said, inshallah, inshallah. But when I asked you whether you're wearing a shimag or not, you said, naam, meaning, definitely yes, I'm wearing one. Which indicates that when you said, inshallah, 
you weren't definitely sure about your understanding. If you were definitely sure about your understanding, just like you were definitely sure you're wearing a shimar, you would have said instantly, Naam, yes. So the Shaykh, he caught him out like that. He said, you're saying, inshallah, but when it comes to the shimar, you say, Naam, straight away, no doubt, no inshallah. Means you haven't been focusing. So sit down and focus properly. So they used to have these light-hearted jokes now and again, and there's nothing wrong with that. What is wrong is when the people try to give da'wah with joking as the basis of da'wah. That is wrong. Joking is not the basis of the da'wah. It is not an entertainment show. This religion you need to learn the Qur'an, learn the sunnah, learn what the Prophet ﷺ has taught us. In other examples, from the life and the modesty of the shaykh. And this is an example that is difficult to forget. As shaykh al-Ithaymeen, they say when he was offered a new house by the king, he refused it. And he lived in his old mud style, the old houses, until right at the end of his life he eventually moved Another example they mention about his modesty, they say if his garment ever tore, if it ripped anywhere, he himself would get a needle and thread and sit there and sew up his own garments and carry on wearing them. In fact, they say about his garments, from his modesty, from his humbleness and the way he was, on a Friday, he would put on his new clothes and put on his new headscarf. Then they say, those who are close to him, day by day you could see the whiteness and the cleanliness of his clothes deteriorating. So the white clothes on Friday were bright and shining and new, washed. By Saturday, a little bit less. By Sunday, a bit less. Monday, less. Tuesday, less. Wednesday, less. Thursday, less. He would wear them for a week. Then Friday, they say, you would see him with the fresh again. For a week, he would wear the garments. For a week, they say, he would wear the same headscarf. And they say, you could see it day by day, getting a bit less bright, a bit less clean every day. Up until Thursday, then on Friday, he would get the new garments.
So the final point we'll mention then is regarding the death of a Shaykh Al-Athameen, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. He died in the year 1421. In the year 1421. He was approximately 74 years old at the time of his death. And that was in the month of Shawwal in the year 1421. Remember now we are in 1439. So that was approximately 18 years ago. Which makes it 1999, thereabouts. So that was the death of Ashaykh al-Athameen when he died all the way up to government level, to the king, it was recognized and noted the death of a Sheikh al-Athameen. And so when he died, and that was on, or just before Maghrib, on a Wednesday, on the 15th of Shawwal, the year 1421, his janazah was done in Al-Masjid Al-Haram, after the Asr prayer on the Thursday, on the next day, the Thursday, the 16th of Shawwal, 1421. And it is mentioned that there were thousands, thousands upon thousands who witnessed that who witnessed that funeral of a Sheikh al-Athameen, and it's mentioned even in other places, upon the difference of opinion on the issue, the Salatul Ghaib was prayed upon him in various other locations within the kingdom of Saudi and outside of the kingdom of Saudi also. So this is, as Shaykh Al-Athameen, in brief, a man who was from the scholars of the Sunnah, from the scholars of our time, a man of great knowledge, but it's not just about knowledge. It is about knowledge and acting upon the knowledge. The Alim Ar-Rabbani, who are the ulama, who are Rabbaniyun, they are the ones who have knowledge and they act upon their knowledge and they teach and give the tarbiyah to others upon that knowledge. They are the Rabbaniyun. They have knowledge. They act upon their knowledge and they spread and disseminate and convey that knowledge. And no doubt they mention of Ash-Shaykh al-Athameen rahimahullah ta'ala that he was from amongst those who was from the Rabbaniyun, from those great scholars with knowledge and action upon his knowledge, and disseminating and conveying that knowledge. He was a man of great modesty, a man of great humbleness. And look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises the people of knowledge. He was not a person of wealth and riches and power. A man who simply spent his life learning the religion, practicing it and teaching it. 
And look how Allah raises those people. In the Qur'an Allah tells us that knowledge, the people of knowledge, He raises them in rank over the ones who are ignorant. So the likes of these scholars, it is upon us to take an example from their lives. To see how they learnt and studied and they were striving all of their lives in knowledge. To see examples of their modesty and humbleness. To see examples of their teaching and practicing the religion. To see examples of their defense of the sunnah. And to see how they practiced as a believer should practice. To see that these are the ones whom Allah has told us to return back to. To see that they are the ones who are the inheritors of the prophets. So we'll conclude upon that brief biography and overview of one of the great scholars of our time for tonight. Until we continue the next time insha'Allah ta'ala. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين